God. Do you believe God? Now, I know that many of you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, but do you believe that everything that God says in His Word, He will do? Jesus has, right in the midst of His ministry, He is doing some incredible things. He is doing miraculous things. He is healing the blind and the sick. He's raising the dead. He's doing miracles, things that cannot be done by man. And he begins to teach them, and he teaches in parables. And if you know anything about the parables, God purposefully masks his teaching. He doesn't reveal the point he's teaching to everyone he's speaking to. Many a times you'll find in a parable the disciples come to him after the message and they say, Lord, what, what, does the, what do these things mean? And to them he would expound and teach them because he was training them for ministry. He finishes up these parables and the Bible says, It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there and when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works or these miracles? Where did this man get these mighty works and these miracles? The Bible teaches us, and I don't want to talk about the ending before I get to the beginning here, that Jesus could not do many miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. It's not that he couldn't, it's that he wouldn't. Because God's miracles are not contingent upon our belief. But listen to me, hear me out, our participation is based on our belief. If you want to be involved in God's miraculous workings, you have to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so Jesus would not do many miracles there. And that leads me to tell you this. The first thing is the recognition of His miraculous power. They knew He had performed miracles. They knew it. They had witnessed it. They even said, where does He get this wisdom and these miracles? See, they had witnessed miracles, but they did not transfer the witnessing of the, these miracles into their belief. And their believing Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, Jesus is the one who spoke all things into creation. Jesus is the one who has created you and me and them. And He's standing before them, and they do not recognize Him for who He is, but they recognize that He has miracle-working power. Can I stop there and ask you this? We too have seen Jesus work miracles. You say, well, I've never seen Jesus work a miracle. Are you saved? Yes. That's the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed is taking a dead sinner and giving him life in Jesus Christ. In this church, we have seen 
miraculous power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have personally witnessed four or five vans running on the road that should not have been running, but with a little bit of duct tape, a few welding rods, and some people who love the Lord, we were able to pick up kids. I have seen God work miraculously in this church when He took a church that had very little money and in faith step out and purchase a property to build a church camp. I have seen God's miracle working power in that He's built buildings up there. I've seen God's miracle working power even before I came when the building across the street was offered to the church at half of what it probably should have cost. I've witnessed miracles when President Bush decided to give everyone a rebate. Many of those took that rebate and went into the school building and bought furnaces so that they didn't have to have that boiler going that had a flame from here to the wall. And every time you fired it up, it was like $1,100 a month. I have seen the miraculous working power in this church of men and women praying and God answering those prayers. We too know all about Jesus' miracles. But let me ask you a question. Have we taken what we've witnessed and build up our faith with it? There's a difference in recognizing and believing. What happened? What happened to these, these people? Well, that brings me to my second point, the resistance of familiarity. They looked at Jesus and they saw, this is the carpenter's son. They looked at Jesus and they saw, this is Mary's son and here's his brothers and, and his sister. They did not recognize him as God. They did not recognize him as Messiah. They acknowledged that he had wisdom that was not of this earth. They acknowledged that he had <clears throat> miracle working power that was not of this earth. But they did not put the two together. Why? Because they became all too familiar with God. Church, we can too become way too familiar with him. Not really recognizing and believing Him for who He is. I like to say it this way. We have become too chummy with God. We've lost the majesty of Jesus. We've lost the belief that with God all things are possible. And so we've stopped asking God to do great things in and through our church. Well, pastor, it's just a different day. The church is really not going to do like it used to do. Why not? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't change. Who changed? We changed. Why? Because we stopped believing in His miracle-working power. We would rather have entertainment 
than His miraculous working power in our lives. We would rather entertain people and have them feeling good about themselves when they leave. And, you know, we can't talk about this or we, we can't talk about that because, you know, people, there's so many churches, they'll just get mad and, and go to another church. And all the while, all we're doing is killing the church. It was the church fueled by the power of God that made a difference in this world. Twelve. And then at the time of Jesus' ascension, there was about 120 true believers together. The day of Pentecost comes. And what happens? Well, the church begins to grow and things begin to happen. And what they stay right there. And Jesus had told them, listen, you're going to be my disciples and my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, into Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they did not go. They stayed there. They became familiar. And so God brought in, as a result, persecution, and the church was scattered abroad. And the persecution moved them and caused them once again to turn from their comfort, to turn from their familiarity, and to turn to the power of God. We don't talk about it anymore in churches, the power of God. We don't talk about miracles in churches. Because we talk about being hip and cool and having all this stuff and watching movies and trying to find moral lessons out of the movie. And all the while we're dying because we don't have the power of God. Do you know that God created man and he was not a living soul until God breathed the breath of life into him. God created church, and the church wasn't living until God breathed into the life of the church. And then the church spends the rest of her time trying to be popular, trying to get more people to have the best church. And competing with other churches rather than operating in the life-giving breath of God, the power of God. We become so chummy with the Lord. Whether I worship Him or not is subject. It's, it's how I feel that day. Whether I serve Him or not, it all depends on how I feel. Well, then you don't believe who He is. Everyone who saw the resurrected Christ was forever changed. This is not some celebrity, celebrity figure. This is the God of all glory. This is the one who stood up and said, Peace be still and the sea stopped raging. This is the one in the garden that reached down and picked up Malchus's ear that had been cut off and put it on. This is Jesus. And his hometown didn't believe him. Standing on the Mount of Megiddo, 
you look across the valley, and it's a vast valley. It's a beautiful valley. But across the valley, as I was looking and over toward my left, was Nazareth. Where Jesus grew up, and no doubt as a boy, he played in those fields, and coincidentally, that's where it will all end. The fields that he played in as a little boy, that's where the great battle of all the armies will gather to go against him, and with his word of his mouth, he'll slay them all. But they had become too familiar with Jesus. We know how to talk Christianese. We know how to go out and act like we're good Christians and say the right things. But all the while, we have become so familiar with Him that we are lacking the power of God on our lives. In verse 56, it says, And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? We see that the recognition of his miraculous powers. We, we then see the resistance of familiarity. And lastly, we see the rebellion of unbelief. Verse 57 is bizarre. So they were offended at him. Jesus had spoken these parables. We know that in his ministry he went to Nazareth twice. We know that according to the scriptures that Jesus understood that he would be without honor in his hometown. And they were offended at what he taught them. He was teaching them the words of life. He was teaching them the way, the truth, and the life. And they rebelled against him because they did not believe him. Unbelief is rebellion. Now, rebellion is more than saying, oh, I didn't mean to do that or I stumbled into sin. Rebellion is a willful turning away. As a matter of fact, if you study the Scriptures and you know this, when it comes to like even church discipline, you don't church discipline someone because they sin. We wouldn't get anything done. You discipline, church discipline, because of rebellion, the refusal to repent of that sin. That is rebellion. God repeatedly told Israel, you are a rebellious and stiff-necked people. And they still are. Thank you, Brian. Rebellion is unbelief. Rebellion is sin. Unbelief is sin. You know the scripture in Hebrews that tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin, a definite article, which means it's referring to one sin. You know what the one sin is? It's unbelief. 
The sin that will hinder you in your run for God. The sin that will hinder you in your walk with God. The sin of unbelief. Now here it is. Please listen to me. God's work is not contingent upon you or me. In other words, I can't stop God's work. I'm not that powerful. You're not that powerful. But unbelief will hinder your participation in the work of God. Your unbelief can keep you from being a participant in the power of God. It's not going to stop it. God's going to do what He wants to do because He's God. God's not going to ask you what He wants to do and if whether or not you want to join Him. God will call you, and if you listen and you answer and you join in Him, you will participate and you will see things that God will do that you never, ever, ever would have ever realized. Often when I run into someone, and I'm not bragging about this, often when I run into someone that I haven't seen from years when I graduated from school and they found out I was a preacher, they said, I couldn't believe you were a preacher. I had one guy told me, he said, now I would have believed that you could have been a politician, a senator, a lawyer. He said, but I would have never believed that you would be a preacher. As a matter of fact, one year for Christmas, my mother-in-law bought me a book, From a Used Car Salesman to a Preacher, There Must Be a God. That was the title of the book. <laughs> but I want, to, I want you to think about one thing. Unbelief is a choice. Every day of our lives, you and I have a choice to make. Am I going with God or am I going my own way? You remember that song, You Can Go Your Own Way? Some of you are hearing it in your head right now. I'm not going to sing it. Am I going to go with God? Am I going to participate in His work? God refuses to work in unbelief. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say, do you know that to me, in my mind, in my understanding of the Scriptures, the greatest insult you can give God is to say, I do not believe that. So what? What do we do? How do we move from this? How do we make sure that we're on our way to participating in God's miraculous work? Well, first of all, number one, I would say that we must revisit His majesty. If you could go to the next slide, please, down through there. I have these for you all the way toward there you go. We must revisit His majesty. We need a time of reflection. We need a time away from self. We need a time to rest in His presence where we revisit His majesty and we see that, yes, in fact, this is Jesus, the Savior savior of my soul, the lover of my soul, the one who pursued me, the one who created me, the one who is sustaining me. We need to get our reverence back for Jesus. He is not JC. He's not the big guy upstairs. He is none of that. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. 
If I revisit His majesty, I have no difficulty in singing songs to Him and about Him. I have no difficulty worshiping Him because of His majesty. The Bible teaches us that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Secondly, we must resist the humanizing of God. It's not original with me, but it changed my life when I heard it. Someone has said, and it's been said years ago, that we are humanizing God and deifying man. My daughter is a Swifty. I thought I raised them better than that, but Kendall loves Taylor Swift. And I am amazed at the people, and I'm not ta- I love my daughter dearly, and I'm not saying anything about her, but I am amazed at the people who will go to great lengths just to go to a concert and see him in person. Man, I hate to stand in line for chicken. I ain't standing in line to meet nobody. But we, 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 we deify people. We, we put them on a pedestal. We put them on a pedestal. One woman one time wrote in a post, she had gone to a Garth Brooks concert and he dripped sweat on her and she was just overwhelmed with it. And I thought, Gross. We resist the humanizing of God. We want to bring God down to where we are. We want to make God think like we think. We want to make God act like we act. We want to make God be like one of us. As a matter of fact, there was a secular song, What If God Were One of Us? Man has always sought to deify himself and humanize God. We want God to be down here and be like us so that we can control Him. But let me tell you something. He's not. Isaiah records that His thoughts are so much higher than ours. His ways are so much higher than ours. He is holy. The throngs of heaven in three-part chorus shout, Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. There's constant worship around the throne. Why? Because He is holy. And He is God. Number three, we must forsake the sin of unbelief. When I revisit His majesty and I see who He is, then I will resist the humanizing of Him and I will forsake the sin of unbelief. I had a family member one time who was getting married. And they wanted me to participate in a wedding ceremony with a female pastor. And, and I wouldn't do it. And another family member said, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? And I said, I'm going to tell the truth. My convictions are that I believe that a pastor has to be the husband, masculine, of one wife, feminine. And it's very clear there are qualifications for a pastor. So I cannot do that. And when I told that person this, I said, listen, 
I love you dearly, but I, I just, I'm sorry, I can't. I cannot do that because of my understanding of the Bible. I had another family member that had a, a baby and wanted me to infant baptism. I said, I, I don't do that. Why? Because baptism is a picture of the death, death, burial, and resurrection. When I understand who God is and I understand what He has said in His Word, then that will keep me from violating His principles. But if I participate in the sin of unbelief, I'll do it. Nobody cares. I, <clears throat> I've had the conversation. I will not marry a believer to an unbeliever. The reason I won't do that is because the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'm not in control. He's in control. And how we live out our lives, listen to me, determines what we believe about Him. If the Bible is not our guiding principle and for thought and for life, then we have nothing. And I tell you this to say that I'm not any better than you. I struggle. I've failed this book and I've confessed and repented. But I don't want to live in unbelief because when I live in unbelief of what God says in His Word, then I am removing myself from participating in His miraculous work. For only when we recognize Him and revere Him for who He truly is, then can we forsake the sin of unbelief. And I want to ask you one question. I've even I put it up there. If you'll go to the next slide, please. I put it up there. This, this one question I want to ask you in closing this. How tragic would it be if you got to heaven and you're standing before Jesus... And you see all the things that God wanted to do through you, but He wouldn't because of your unbelief. People tell me there's no tears in heaven. There's no tears in the new heaven and new earth. It's when the new heaven and new earth comes down, as Eugene read you earlier, that's when He shall wipe away all the tears. There will be there will be people who are ashamed when they stand before Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us that we can live as though we would not be ashamed. So if it's obvious that there will be some who will be ashamed. You will not be there being judged on your sin. Your sin was judged at the cross, but you will be there for a reward or a loss of reward. And when you understand this, when you see Jesus, nothing else matters. Throughout all of eternity, nothing else matters. So when you see Jesus... And God had all these things He wanted you to participate in and you didn't do it and you have a loss of reward because you didn't participate in those things. The only thing that will matter to you is Jesus. To me, one of the most frightful thoughts and tragic thoughts is to stand before Jesus Christ and see that Jesus wanted to do more things through me. He wanted me to participate in His work, but... He wouldn't allow me to participate because I didn't believe Him. And the devil will work 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, to keep you from participating with God, to keep you from believing God. God, The devil worked in the serpent in the garden and came to Eve and said, Hath God not said? In other words, he attacked her belief in the words of God. God... He just really wants you. He knows that when you eat this fruit, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. You'll be like him. He twisted her thoughts and in unbelief she took the fruit. How do I know that she took the fruit in unbelief? Because if she would have believed God, she never would have eaten it. Friend, I'm telling you today, there are many things that God would love to do in His church. Let's live by faith. Let's get it all in with God. It doesn't matter what contemporary people say. It doesn't matter what so-and-so wrote a book about it says. It doesn't matter what your favorite television preacher says. It matters what God says. And if we'll just put all that gobbledygook behind us and focus right here on God's Word and on the Lord Jesus Christ, He will do greater things. How do I know that? Because He told His disciples that we would do greater things. Now, let me just say this. Whenever you think about miracles, let me clear up something for you. The miracles in the Bible were never performed to improve the quality of life. But they were to reveal the power of God. I was <laughs> I was mowing grass one day when you used to listen to the radio, when they had stuff on the radio. I was mowing grass and there was a preacher preaching and he said that he was driving through Huntington and he saw a candy apple red Corvette. And he knew that God wanted him to have that Corvette. And he said, so he went over and he put his hands on that car And he prayed in Jesus' name. He hadn't gotten it yet, but he was still believing God for it. But here's the thing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is looking to God, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. See Him where He's working and join Him in His work by faith. That's what I'm talking about. And God will do through you things which you could have never, ever even imagined. Would you bow with me for prayer? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let me ask you this.